Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So as the psalmist says, and as Abel, let's stand and sing. Praise. Our Father, how good it is that you have invited us in Jesus Christ to greet you as a perfect parent, as the one who knows our hearts and who has come to give us that attitude of prayer. Lord, how grateful we are that not only are our children learning the need for attitude in prayer, but that we get to proclaim that in our posture physically, emotionally, spiritually, practically, in all that we are about. Lord, it's with deep gratitude that we come for the prompting of your Holy Spirit, that you call us away from the many things that we pile on our plates at the buffet of life only to look down and go, ugh. None of that is really what I need. Lord, the one thing we need on the plate of our lives is you. Time with you. Rejoicing in you. Crying with you. Acknowledging you. Giving you praise. Lord, teach us to do that. And teach us to put aside anything less than that. For you are worthy of everything we are. And we praise you that you want everything that we are. You want our lives yielded to you. You want our brokenness. You want to make us new. Lord, we get confused. We get confounded. It doesn't seem like things are going right. We live in a world that does not know you. And yet you make yourself known even in our hardest times. Perhaps we see you best in the dark because your light is so bright. And we pray that we would be that light, that we would reflect your light in the world for someone whose heart is breaking, for someone who's confused, for someone who's addicted, for someone who's dying, for someone who does not know where to turn. Lord, we praise you for this fellowship that we have. For people like Dave and Jan Breeze, who as they get ready, in Dave's case, to conclude this chapter, they come rejoicing before you, praising you for this journey and delighting in the journey that is yet to come because of your amazing grace and the promise of the resurrection, the light in which we stand. Lord, we, we pray for this nation and the, the odds and brokenness that that we see all around us because hearts are not yielded to you. Lord, let us be ambassadors of that. Let us not get bogged down in the fray of trying to find a human solution before letting you be the solution in our lives and reflect that. Lord, we praise you 
for Tim and Carol Imbrock and, and their ministry, and we, we so give thanks that they are here with us today to bring us to a deeper awareness of how you are flying around the world with your gospel. We pray that you would anoint that presentation today and you would give us open hearts and minds, not only to know about it, but to make it known. To tell someone in line at Walmart tomorrow about the exciting presentation we heard of your good news and how passionate you are for us, that you came flying into our lives to make us whole. Lord, empower your church everywhere to make that message very, very practically known to people everywhere. As we seek to live the prayer that you taught us to pray, Lord Jesus, give us joy and boldness as we say together those words, Our Father, who art in heaven. So you are in for a wonderful treat this morning. We are God's family, and we're going to hear about some of our brothers and sisters who are not here in Carson City, but are from other places around the world. And it is going to be truly a blessing. This morning, we're going to have Tim and Carol Imbrock, who are missionaries with the Mission Aviation Fellowship, share with us some about that incredible ministry. The Imbrock spent 15 years in Papua New Guinea as a pilot mechanic family serving with MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, Australia, prior to moving to MAF headquarters where they now live and where Tim is a, currently an instructor pilot in Nampa, Idaho in 2010. Tim, the son of a pastor and missionary, was one of the lighter skinned uh, people born and raised in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> he says his uh, brothers and sisters there were brown skinned people. <laughs> the example of his parents' lives and faith helped him mature and commit his life to the Lord while in high school. Tim's family was on the receiving end of MAF's service, and as a result, he, and, uh, he was keenly aware of the impact that mission aviation had on them for building God's kingdom. Carol was born and raised in Grove City, Ohio. It wasn't until she met Tim in church choir that she began to understand a bit more about missions. And it sounded like maybe Tim was a bit of a mission initially as well, so <laughs> before you went off together. Carol has a deep passion for reading and studying God's word. Uh, Tim and Carol were married in 1987, and Tim and Carol were with us for Bible study this morning with Dwayne Glansman, and we're a real blessing there. The Imbrocks are excited about the unique ministry they have, equipping, mentoring, and praying for pilots and their families as they prepare for working in the mission field. They frequently welcome new staff in their home for meals and fellowship. Tim and Carol have three children and eight grandchildren. Grant and Grace, their son and daughter, are both married, uh, were both married in 2010 and live in Texas and Idaho, respectively. Their youngest daughter, Claire, is now attending college. Uh, and with that, I just wanna welcome and say how privileged we are to we as a congregation to stand with them uh, in service to our Lord. Tim, come on up. Thank you very much. Well, it is a, a great honor to be with you this morning. Um, I'm not a, a, a trained pastor. I'm a lay person. I'm a pilot. We always say pilots are not that smart. Don't make things too complicated. 
You know, trying to fly an airplane, there's a lot of things happening at one time. And so uh, I find it's true in God's word that God takes the, the simple and the lowly and he gives us great opportunity. Um, so this morning as I get started, I've got a PowerPoint I want to talk about but, and show you, show you some pictures. But I think ultimately what I'd like to do is introduce you a little bit to what MAF is as an organization and what our goals are. And then what I'd like to do is I'd tell you a little bit about how God has worked marvelously in my own life and in the world in which we have worked and how God uses you and I as individuals right in the places that we live for his glory and for the building of his church and so that we can praise him. So uh, we can go to that next slide, I think, there. Uh, actually, let me go ahead and read this passage first. Let's go ahead and do this. If you've got your pew Bibles... Mark chapter 5 is where I'd like to, to speak this morning, and, and let me go ahead and let's uh, thank the Lord for his word. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for your word of truth and life, that your word never changes. The world passes away, flowers and the grasses of the field wither, but your word will remain forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Would you bless the reading of your word? Would you help your word to speak to individual hearts. Heavenly Father, would you give me words this morning to convey your love, your calling upon our lives, and the work that you have called us to do, make your name great in the earth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Let's read together. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines, and when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of the voice of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there were on the hillside a great herd of swine that were feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off, swine herds ran off and told it to the city and uh, to all those in the country, the people came to see what was that that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demonic sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused, and he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. The word of the Lord. I don't know about this story, how much you remember about this story. I want to come back to this story, but I want to start with a thank you. How much has God done for you? Tell what God has done for you. And as we speak here this morning, I want to tell you some of the great things that God has done for me and in our ministry and how he has had compassion on me and how he has had compassion on others. And from that personal experience, I just want to tell you, thank you so much. Um, Carol and I can't begin to express our heartful thanks to you every month. I receive a report of how God's people have stood behind us financially and made our ministry with Mission Aviation Fellowship possible. And when I look at the task of raising uh, $8,700 a month, which is an equal share of the cost of all of our staff, divided by the number of families who are in our ministry, I look at that and I go, that's impossible, humanly speaking. And I would add that I don't receive $8,700 a month as an income. My, my salary is figured out based on an average teacher's salary in the United States, and that's what MAF uses as a guide for our salaries. But we don't want somebody to have an unequal burden. And so as a fellowship, we share that from our CEO all the way down. And I want to tell you on behalf of our ministry and all those families who receive support from that pool of funds that you provide, that God has been amazingly gracious and merciful to us, uh, providing more than what we need. And at the same time, as I stand here and tell you that this is a miracle that shows me that God has opened the doors for us to continue in this ministry, I want to tell you that it's an ongoing process for every week or every month. I receive news from godly men and women just like yourselves who say, you know, we're in our later years, we can't do this anymore. There's been a change in our financial circumstances and we can't do this anymore. And they are regretful in their comments. But I praise God for their faithfulness and their sacrificial giving, and that includes you and your fellowship here. And as we go forward, we don't do anything but to ask the Lord to lead and prompt those who he would have be part of our team. And if God is prompting you, um, we thank the Lord for that and your response to his prompting because it's what God has called you to. And he hasn't called you to be a pilot like I am and to do the work that I have. But you, he, you have been called by him for the work that he's put in your hands to do. And so please do that work with all your heart. Thank you. Well, tell of the great things that God has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Those are really the two places that I want to camp today. And I do want to give you a little bit of an introduction into what Mission Aviation Fellowship is. So if we could go to that next slide. Firstly, I, I want to stop. And on this Mother's Day, I want to tell you that organizational charts have hierarchy. And there are those who are low on that hierarchy chart of organizations that don't have a lot of influence. Others are much higher. But there's another chart, and it's called a power chart. And I want to tell you that there are people in our midst today who are high on that power chart. And that's those of you who are mothers, and Carol, who is the mother of my children. And I want to applaud you. Our society does not give you value. Our society does not 
recognize the fact that you are the ones who have taught our children to speak. Most of you are the ones who helped our children learn how to read. You are the ones who have stood by them on dark nights and been awake as they've been sick or ill or afraid or in tears, and you've walked with them. And I want to recognize you today. Thank you for being used by God to bless the next generation. And at the same time, I want to thank God for the family he's given me. Um, here is my son and daughter-in-law and uh, Grant and his family and uh, my youngest daughter, Claire, there. In our next picture, we've got my other daughter, Grace, and her husband, Luke, and their children who are currently living with us as they transition to a new place and new work and moving a business. And then our uh, son, Grant, and his newest addition here recently, we have a new grandchild, granddaughter. So we have great-grandchildren, eight of them. And my goodness, I feel old, and then I look in the mirror and I go, I am not 28 anymore. <laughs> Surprise. Let's go to the next one. And on to MAF. I mean, without my family, what would I be? And years ago, we joked about what does MAF stand for. You know, three-letter three anachronisms. Aviation is full of these. Our world is full of these. And you wonder what MAF stands for. It could be Missionary Air Force or a number of other things. I shared last night with um, the mission team as we ate. But years ago, Carol looked at this and she looked at that and she said, you know what it really stands for is my amazing family. And she is right. God has a big family all around the world and you are part of that family. As God has called us to places all around the world, what I find is God has prepared already part of his family to receive us, part of his family that we can encourage, part of a family that he doesn't know yet and that doesn't know him yet who will be part of his family. And so our mission in MAF is sharing the love of Jesus Christ through aviation technology so that isolated people may be physically and spiritually transformed. That's our goal. And, and we're a bunch of technical geeks. I don't know, it's kind of funny. People on the outside, they come and visit our hangar and office buildings where we all work, and they go, do you realize how alike all of you are here? And we're like, oh, no, no, we're really different. We're a diverse group. And they're like, I don't know. You guys are a bunch of technical geeks. But you know what? God is glad to use those of us who are technicians, and we are glad that he uses the way he has gifted us for his glory and for his honor. And as we sang this morning, uh, Heavenly Father, we want to glorify your name in all the earth. And I tell you, as a pilot, I get to fly way up high over the earth. I get to sit up there at high altitudes and look over the Pacific Ocean that God has created as the sun comes over the horizon and watch his world. And we do want to glorify his name in and through the work that we do and the technology tools that help to transform lives for people. Let's go to that next slide. And really, all of this is so that God's name can be declared and so that People can come to know him so that his kingdom would be built. A while back, uh, I was doing a home Bible study, and I picked up on this theme, and I went through God's word and looked for all of the so that's. God makes declarative statements. Prophets make declarative statements, and then they say so that, and they explain what God desires for his people. And so today, I want to do that also in your midst. Let's go to the next slide. So my role is training of pilots, and very briefly, I just want to show you some pictures of some training. 
Um, I just finished a training course in the backcountry of Idaho, central mountains of Idaho. Some of the worst, most difficult, challenging airstrips are represented there in that area, which is why we use it for training and why MAF is based in Nampa, Idaho, because of the training opportunities. We used to be down in Southern California, Redlands, California. Became very congested, difficult, expensive to live there. Um, Idaho is a great place, and about 10 years ago we moved there, and God has really blessed us as we moved there. So let me just show you a few of these pictures. Um, this young pilot, we're out in the dry lake bed. He's going to, Brazil, uh, to uh, South America. Here are the mountains and narrow valleys of the backcountry of Idaho, the Salmon River. Um, this is the area that I was just flying in last week before I came here. Jacob's in the back of this little Cessna 206. My pilot on the left there, he's been in Ecuador for the last 15 years joining our training team. Here's one of the small airstrips that we're working on. There's a blind turn to final. We walk the airstrips, measure, uh, look at the slope, look at the obstacles, calculate and plan. This is a technical business. We're going we're gonna to make sure that the airplane's performance is correct so that we can anticipate this. And while there, we stay at Allison Ranches, which is right where we are in these pictures, refueling airplanes there and wing covers in the frost along the mighty Salmon River, a very remote area today that still gets its mail delivered by small airplane. There is no roads, no other way. And here on our final airstrip, uh, Jacob and, I, and uh, Chad Irwin with me there. This airstrip starts out at the very bottom. You can see to the left there. Um, about 10%, 9 or 10% in the touchdown zone. Halfway up the airstrip, and the pictures never show the slope. It goes to about 14 and then at the end it goes to 22% slope. So my role is to hold the hands of these new pilots and uh, help them learn how to do this, how to do it carefully, how to do it safely, how to do it over and over and over again safely with margin. And I see this as God wiring me in a way that's just perfect. And yet he chooses the simple of the world. I'm a dyslexic kid who couldn't pass reading and comprehension in fifth grade. Traditional school was a great struggle. When I found that God had wired me and gave me a desire for aviation and I began to pursue this, it seemed like at that point it was just like the flower began to bloom and I was successful and I graduated, graduated from college second in my class. And, and flying in these difficult airstrips seemed just a perfect fit for me. Uh, in struggling with learning, um, God has given me a heart for those who struggle and the struggles that they face and practice with all kinds of strategies to try to learn myself and now today help others who are struggling. Let's go to the next picture. My training work does not just keep me in northern Idaho, but takes me around the world. And uh, here we went around the world to Papua, Indonesia. Next slide. Um, here you'll see some pictures of Papua, Indonesia. Here's a Kodiak airplane. We've got medical patients, a pastor and his family traveling to a community. Uh, people in those community meeting us. They're brown-skinned Melanesian people. Here, isolated rivers where we use float planes. Uh, a mission station with missionaries who are sharing the love of Jesus along this river and great tools that are appropriate. A mission family here who have spent the last 35 years translating God's word. Uh, another airstrip here in the remote mountains and a mission station where these men of God have faithfully taught God's word Pilots like this one here, Tom, um, blesses people with basic supplies. If you live in a place with no salt, no sugar, no soap, no oil, wouldn't you like a little bit of soap? Wouldn't you like a little bit of salt for your vegetables? 
and small things like that transform lives. And I experienced that growing up on the receiving end of MAF's work. But today our work is moving from not just supporting missionaries who are expatriates or from other countries, but like this man in this picture, he is a national man. This is his own tribal community, and he is one of the Bible translators leading a team of men to finish translating the Old Testament for his people so God's word can be known in its entirety. And so what a privilege it is to stand with these men and see how over 50 years or so in this country of Papua New Guinea, I got to watch, witness the work of my parents and others going before us. Let's go to the next slide. A video for you. I want you to get a glimpse of part of what MAF is doing. Walaupun di sini cukup banyak tantangan yang kami alami. 
baik dari hari ke hari. This is the only float plane in uh, all of Papua. And uh, without this float plane, everything you see here wouldn't be here. And the gospel wouldn't be here. And the kids wouldn't be able to read. I wish you could come out and see it. There really isn't a way for me to convey what it's like unless you come, and some have come, and we're very grateful for those who come. I hope that gives you, gives you a little bit of a taste of, of what we're doing. It's amazing we have the opportunity to participate and partner with over 600 uh, Christian churches, missions, NGOs, um, to make a difference in the lives of people who are remote, isolated, um, so that the love of Jesus would impact them. And, like St. Uh, uh, Francis said, um, you know, share the love of Jesus always, and if necessary, use words. And so in a lot of places, um, I go, I don't speak a word of the language as I go there. Um, I speak some of these languages in some of these places. But God has commanded that you and I would tell the great things that the Lord has done for you, how he has had compassion on you. Coming back to our message this morning in the reading from Mark, I want to stop and just back up, talk briefly about that in the last few minutes, share one or two quick stories and close. Jesus was speaking and teaching the people, and, and then we hear of his parables, and then they leave at the end of the teaching, they go across the lake, there's a storm, Jesus stills the storm. And the disciples are filled with awe. And they say to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus makes the effort to go all the way across to the other side of the sea to meet one man, this demoniac. And there he heals him. And this response from this man is to say, Heavenly Father, I want to follow you. Or Lord, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, No, no. You go home, tell your family what God has done, how he's had compassion on you. And so really, that's part of what I want to share with you. I feel like MAF's work is very much like this. We go to great expense, we go to great diff, through great difficulty to reach that one. And sometimes we feel like we can't do nearly enough. But the model that we have from Jesus is that he went to great lengths to reach that one. And then right after he has restored this man, he goes back across the lake, and now he's going back there to restore the life of a young girl, Jairus' daughter. And on the way, he encounters the woman who has had this flow of blood for many, many years and heals her as she trusts in him. And so as we go forward and put our trust in him, and as we go forward to great lengths to reach that one God's name is glorified. His name is lifted in the earth. Very briefly in our closing minutes, I just want to tell you a couple of experiences. First of all, um, you know, I don't know about any of you. Anybody here have any problems with idolatry? Okay? Now, you don't have to put your hand up, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm not alone. Praise God. <laughs> but, it, but it's a little bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, and again, I won't ask you if you've been there or how you've introduced yourself, but, you know, for me, it's like, my name is Tim, and I have a problem with airplanes, you know, um, from the time I was a little kid. And, and, uh, and that has become a passion that God has used for his glory. But I want to tell you that that's, it wasn't so good initially in the early years because it was something I worshipped. 
God doesn't want us to worship these things, but he wants us to use them for his glory. And so I have. And today, even now, when I get down on my knees to drain fuel sumps out of an airplane, it's like the Holy Spirit taps my mind and he reminds me, and with a humorous reminder and with great love reminds me, yeah, you used to bow down to images, airplanes, and worship them. But I don't anymore. And I want to praise God for that. And again, I'm not your greatest, sharpest, smartest pilot. God is using regular people in his work. And I thank you. I thank the Lord and I praise him for that. But I want to tell you that in my work, um, what I have seen and witnessed is that God is mighty and powerful. Um, I referred to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, where the field has flowers, the, 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 the flowers fade um, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it and surely people are grass. All of this withers and fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, which is why I'm here today. And then further on in that same chapter, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He underst his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. I'm one of those. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. And I've experienced that. And even the youths shall faint, be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And I think it would be right and proper to say that we shouldn't expect the Lord literally to pick us up and lift us up on wings as an eagle. But I want to tell you that in a moment of greatest disaster, greatest need, with an airplane that was not working properly, that had an engine failure, that I had struggled with for over an hour to try to stay in the air, um, we got to a point where the engines were overheating. We got to the end of our rope. There was nowhere to go. We couldn't clear the mountain ridges to get to any place to land safely. And in that moment, we realized that we were coming to a point where this might be the end of our day. This may be the day. In fact, at one point, I chose a place along the river where we would put this airplane down. And it was like slow motion. All of a sudden, I realized this may be my day that God is calling me home. And he didn't. And in that moment when we made these decisions, it was as though he was a coach standing beside and said, yes, you can't try to go any further here, but like a coach, you're doing the right thing, you're making the right choices, don't give up. And it's like he lifted our spirits in that next moment or two, the airplane began to climb at 300 feet a minute steady. Now we'd climbed to the limit of that airplane's performance and been there for nearly an hour. It's not like the fuel burned and it got lighter and it started to climb. All of a sudden, um, God lifted the airplane, and for 300 feet a minute, he climbed us through 6,078, and we were able to cruise home and land safely with just 300 feet to clear the last mountain pass. And through that process, we landed, and I spoke to my pilot, who was a, a veterinary surgeon before he was a pilot, and I said, Michael, what happened back there? Was that a thermal? Was that ridge lift? What was that? He said, no, we know what those feel like. That was nothing like we felt. It was dead smooth and 300 feet a minute. And I really believe that God lifted us miraculously that day and brought us home because the work that he had for us was not done. The days that he had appointed for me were not complete. And so he had more for me to do. I don't know about you, very briefly, working with people. People here, if you've worked with people, what is it like working with people? Pastors, don't answer. But I bet you know how it is like working with people. 
Teachers, anybody, moms on this day, you work with people. And I confess that my, my answer to the Lord about people is people are messed up. They are a waste of time. They are unpredictable. They are unreliable. They are untrustworthy. I used to have a great speech, praise God. The speech is not there anymore. God has blessed my heart and helped me to grow out of that. But I want to tell you that in one of those moments, I had to cry out to the Lord and say, God, I am a fake and a fraud. You have called me to be a missionary. I'm supposed to be an example for you. And I don't love people anymore. I have run out of love for people. And it was at a really spiritual moment. It was at a moment where I was driving in a van to a little tiny uh, hardware store in a third world country. You can imagine this, uh, a tiny little place to try to find plumbing pieces to fix my neighbor's toilet. They were a new family in the country, struggling with living in a new country, new place, new culture, new language. And it was the toilet that didn't work. And in that moment, and people being upset, I cried out to God and I said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I have no love for people. And I don't know if your theology allows for this or if you believe this is possible. God speaks to us through his word. He impresses on my heart and in my mind through his Holy Spirit. But on this day, I believed he spoke to me out loud in the car. And as I declared this, a heart cry prayer to God that I have no love for people anymore. He, he responded out loud, it seems to me. And he said, I know they killed my son. And in that next moment, he said, and it's okay, I'll give you love again. I'll fill you up with love so that you don't run out. Well, I want to tell you, if you'd been in that hardware store, you would have seen a guy who was manic. I, you had never seen a happier man dealing with plumbing problems, toilet problems, in the hardware store that day. And I found these parts to cobble this together, and I came home, and I ran up the stairs. I threw open the door, and I said to my wife, Honey, I'm home, and I have love for people again. And... <laughs> Of course, she knew how close to the edge I'd been running for so long, and she, the look on her face told me everything, that I'd gone off the edge. <laughs> but I want to tell you that I didn't go off the edge. God had restored me mightily that day, and he has continued to maintain that well of love for people who are unworthy. And really, in Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles there, you can turn over there very quickly as I sum up here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, and it looks like I missed my marker. Here we go. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but in the beginning here, he goes on to say in the first few verses, the reality, and this is an epic story, a picture of where we are. Verses 1 through 3, we're dead, dead meat, you know, probably dead meat and stinking, you know. And then in verse 4, but God... God makes the move. Verse 5, by grace. And then in 10, he goes on and he says, for we are his workmanship. You and I are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And my question for you today is, you don't need to be a pilot like I am. You don't need to be somebody else other than what God has called you to. But what has God called you to? What good works has he prepared for you? That's what God is calling to you. Not necessarily to be part of our ministry support team, 
But God is calling you to be the man or woman that God has called and placed you to be in the places that you live. And too often it seems like we're looking over there. The grass is greener way over there. We think that God is calling us to that great thing way over there. And right in our hands, he's given us work to do. And I would challenge you and encourage you to do that good work. In closing, I'd love to take you over to Romans chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And I'll close there this morning. This last year, as I've read God's word and studied, I, I was, this verse was pointed out to me, Romans 15, verse 13. And this verse has been one that's challenged me and encouraged me this year, and I want to share it with you. It's an amazing verse. Let me read it to you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you catch that. Our hearts.